crazy though. <laughs> Yo, LL Nation was good. Lucky Lefty Podcast. Like I said, my boy Malik has been in transition since Friday, man. And we're gonna try and get this podcast. We might have to do something later on tonight. Yeah. Uh Malik's volume is a little little low. He might have to scream. You're gonna get it right. Who they? <laughs> hey, the floor is hey. First of all, I'm a man of my word. Here's my boys. This is for my boy. This is for my boy right here. Congrats, my dude. Congrats to you. Congrats to my boy Jordan Cornette. That's right. Khalid, Big time. Khalid Kareem, my guy, Khalid. Khalid Kareem. Um, and your guy, um, and hey, Marcus Freeman. Probably was going crazy. Al Golden <laughs> gotta wait a week. You gotta wait a little bit. <laughs> Say Al Golden gotta wait a week. <laughs> That's right. You gotta wait just a little bit longer. Lucky Lucky Podcast. Yo, of course, we're here for Notre Dame football. We have a special guest, Coach uh, R. Reed. He's coming up at 10 o'clock. He's actually twofold. He is a 247 uh, transfer portal uh, college football analyst. And he's also the former head coach at Desmond Catholic High School up in St. Louis which is where 2023 defensive back Christian Gray goes. And he was Christian Gray's coach last year. So we'll get a chance to talk to him about two different things. And um, we're brought to you as always by Nora Whiskey. Go to norwhiskey.com. It's that premium American whiskey, norwhiskey.com. Let's get into it, my brother, because you know I, I talk to you literally like as the field goal as McPherson was making the kick, we were on the phone. So yo, Man, we gotta cut that check for McPherson. He's been winning all our playoff games. <laughs> so you all bear with us. You know, if you need Malik to like screen, tell him to screen. Yeah, we know let me know. His 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 volume is, is a little low. So Just go ahead, bro. The floor is yours, man. I just want everybody to know in the chat that Joey Business is in business. There's no more Josh Allen talk. There's no more he's not a top five player. Joey Burrow is Cincinnati's greatest legend. They're winning the Super Bowl. I'm calling it now. The Rams are paying for a Super Bowl. But <laughs> we're winning it off the sweat and hard work of player development and right draft picks. We should build a similar model at Notre Dame. And it shows you what a real quarterback can do in a good system. All you got to do is have a good quarterback. He's going to raise the level of the talent around the team. And Joey B does that where Josh Allen cannot. And that's why Hootay is in the Super Bowl. <laughs> the floor is yours, bro. Also, Whatever you want to say. Another thing, another it's thing your name. Another thing to mention. Eli Apple. Eli Apple is the apple of my eye. You mean and Eli Great? Come on now. I that first half, that. that first half, he was Eli Great. Come on now. Now we now let's we give respect to Kansas City. But when we go to Arrowhead, we know one thing for sure. We whooped y'all twice. We whooped y'all twice. We 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 
Buffalo talk. Yeah, it's not week. It's not week fifteen. It's not week seventeen. But we 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 have a short term memory. We have a short term memory. We thought we knew this was a new game, and I know it was looking bad early. I know you were smiling and grinning over there. It was looking bad, early. but when you got Joey B, you see them white. You talking about me? You see them white buffs he had on. And you talking about me? Yeah. Wait a minute, are you speaking generally? Are you talking about me? <laughs> oh, I'm talking about all the Patty okay. Mahomes. Okay, okay. All the Patty Mahomes home in the first half. People out there, people that think they win the game in the first half. You forgot where Joey B is from. He didn't stop through Dayton a couple times. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and, a, and a picked up a whole new swag. You know, the, you talking about the hometown kid winning the Super Bowl for the city. You're not going to find that in any book, any movie, only in Ohio. So when LeBron leaves, Joey Burrow takes his place. I know Baker, Faker, Mayfield. We don't believe in Faker, Mayfield. It's Joey business. Taking over Ohio. We're going back to the top. We're going back to the top. You got to think. Our women's basketball team at Notre Dame has better facilities than the Bengals. And we make it happen. You can only do that at one place. You can't go. You can't go to Indiana. You can't go to to, to New York and do what we pull off. All of, we don't pay for. We don't pay the people. We don't pay to put players in the Super Bowl, like the Rams. The Rams got celebrities like OBJ and Donald Bob Miller, Jalen. They have to pay to do what we work our hard, sweat, blood, and tears for. This is a blue collar city. It's a blue collar city. We're not messing around with no Patty Mahomes. We, if, if you want to be the king of the north, you got to go through the best. You got to go through the best. So we wanted Patty Mahomes. That's what, see, that's the difference. Buffalo wanted to avoid Patty Mahomes. We wanted them. We wanted Patty. And we wanted Patty when it mattered. Ugh. We are the best team in the season. I was playing with them on Madden in the first week of the season. I told everybody the Bengals was my team. So that's why you been getting smacked on Madden? Huh? That's why Jerron said he been smacking you? Oh, no, 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 no. It's impossible. You got to think. You're not going to go anywhere else in this in this year. You're not going to find any, any other better story than what Cincinnati is pulling off. Cincinnati was a two and fourteen team last year. Terrible, terrible. Beating the, the Super Bowl, supposed Super Bowl, the supposed Patty Mahomes era. No, it's still his era. Don't supposedly, get it supposedly. Oh, supposedly. Don't get it twisted. It's still his era. But in Cincinnati, can read those headlines. We'll be right back at Arrowhead the same time next year. Watching the championship game once again. It don't change. The AFC West is me. We don't believe in the headlines. That's the difference. We don't even get the paper in Cincinnati because we make the news. You got what Joey B said. It ain't nothing to do in Cincinnati but win. We don't have to go out to the club. Ain't nowhere to go. The least affected COVID team is in the Super Bowl right now because all they focused about is winning and chili cheese hot dogs. That's all I'm gonna start eating. Skyline chili, a bingo jersey, and Super Bowl tickets. You gotta think. You have to come out here now. 
LA versus Cincinnati. It's Cincinnati versus the whole world. Y'all, y'all got God and Jay Reed. You know what I mean? Cincinnati, they got God and Jay Reed. You know what I'm saying? Me alone. That was that was in Cincinnati, right? Yeah, but we had to refresh it. That was me alone. I love me alone, but me alone ain't made no good movie for me lately. <laughs> so I gotta I gotta get the new attraction in town. The new attraction in town is that is Paul Brown Stadium. Hey man, and, you need to tell your owner to stay woke during the game, though, bro. <laughs> you need to tell him to stay woke during the AFC championship game hey, in the sweets. He was asleep because he knew he was finna get the dub. He was like, man, I ain't, I'm no, he's sleep because he's old. He was asleep because he's old. Man, I, the <laughs> only thing he has to worry about is booking his little uh, apartment or whatever he's going to book when he come to LA for that Super Bowl. Because that's where we're going. See, the Rams, think it's, the Rams think it's cool because they at home. You know, they got their seats kicked up. Why are you uh, throwing darts at the Rams already, bro? Oh, what you mean? We throwing darts all season. <laughs> we the king of the north. I know they watching that film and being like, oh, my God, what they did to Patty was just. And you know Matthew Stafford want to give it away. You know he does. He don't want to be there. He don't want to be there. <laughs> but I know he does want to be there. The coolest kid in the candy shop, Joey Business, Joey Burrow, the guy that's going to win the Super Bowl over Pat Mahomes. There is no Pat Mahomes era. Because we had the same situation. You're going we a little bit too far. Huh? You're going a little bit too far. We had the same well, hold situation. Hold on. You do realize, season. you do realize even the great Tom Brady lost at home in the AFC championship game to some really bad quarterbacks. You do realize that, right? So let, let's relax. Let's relax. I'm a, I'm letting you, I'm letting you do your thing, but I'm gonna pull the reins on you when you start going off the rails a little bit. <laughs> Relax. Relax. I just want to know. I just want to know one thing. Where else could you find something like this? You can't tell a better sports story in history better than the one Cincinnati Bengals are creating. They said they couldn't beat the Giants. We smacked the Giants. They said we, if it came down to the last 30 seconds and Pat Mahomes got it, he's sealing the game. Not so fast. Not so fast. Oh, you if we had Josh Allen in Cincinnati, I guarantee you, they would already have a Pat Mahomes statue because he'd be whooping it every time. Every time. Every time. Josh Allen stands no chance. But when you bring that man from Cincinnati, Ohio, to Arrowhead, and to L.A., you're coming back with some of them things. He already showed you. He's coming back with some of them things. And he's bringing his boys with him. He done made Rookie of the Year, Jamar Chase. He made that. So we got our new Tom Brady. We got our new air. You know what? I'm gonna just start wearing a Bengals moving forward. Pat, Pat like this. It goes Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, and then if Tom Brady wants to come back, then he's number three. That's the top quarterbacks in the league. So in order to win, just like Notre Dame, I hope you're watching. Marcus Freeman, you 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 know damn well you watch. If we want to win. Is going to have to come through a generational quarterback, period. A team and a quarterback that can lift a team from the ashes, 2-14. The man just had total knee reconstruction the year before. The bionic burrow. Not only that, it only took him two. 
It only took you Josh Allen trying to restructure his contract to steal more money from Buffalo. And it took Joe Burrow his second year to get there. Stealing money. We couldn't pay Joe Burrow. Wait, wait, you do realize, you do realize that if Joe B wins the Super Bowl, you do realize his agent is getting that bag this all season, right? You, you, you do realize that. That rookie contract is over. So everything changes. Everything changes as far as building that roster. That's everything right. changes. So, and you know the first thing they're going to do? They're going to get some offensive line. Nah, let, nah. You got to think about this. Yeah, because that, that old line, wait, wait. I will say this. That old line is huff, bro. They huff. They are huff. Dude, Joe Burrow in the fourth quarter, and I'll say this. And I think most people don't understand. It really, they'll say it comes down to who makes the play, which quarterback makes the play at the end of the game. That game yesterday came down to which quarterback made the mistake late in the game. Because hold on, because let's get real, right? I have to get kudos to Chuck, Chuck Ammo, I mean Coach Ammo, defensive coordinator for the Bengals. Because the adjustment he made at halftime to go away from the zone, because they were eating that zone up. Yeah. And I don't know why they came out 10-yard cushion on Tyreek Hill. Like, bro, that's easy access throw. That's that's too easy. And Von Bell started immediately coming down in the box at the snap and turned the seven-yard runs in the first half into three- and four-yard runs. That's totally – you can't give Kansas City seven yards a pop. Yeah. Running the ball. You can't. And so they made the adjustments. They made the plays. Both quarterbacks made big mistakes in the fourth quarter. Both. Patrick Mahomes made mistakes. But wait a minute. Though. We, have to, we have to define it, though. Go, go ahead. He's he not used to that yet. So his mistakes are different than a guy that won an MVP mistake. Oh, heck yeah. It's a stain. This is a stain. This is a big stain on the resume. And it's a huge stain. Because you can't even get Patrick Mahomes the young thing anymore. That's always out. That was out the window year two. Yeah. He's a bet. Yeah. That's an indictment on his list right there. Joey B, I mean, what you nobody's expecting him to even be there. This is why it's a movie season. It's yeah. It's a movie season. Yeah. Because think about it, who else in the world do you know can get hit the amount of times in the NFL he does and still come out on top? Lucky Lucky Podcast. Chris T. Jones got to stop eating the donuts, too. Because he's not the same dude. He's not the same dude. That dude usually swaddles, swallows quarterbacks. He let about three sacks slip right through his hands yesterday. I thought the turning point, everybody goes to halftime, right? And the Chiefs not getting the field goal before halftime, and that was the turning point. Turning point was the fourth quarter. The turning point was the fourth quarter. <clears throat> Top ball game. Burrow throws an interception. The Chiefs get the ball right there at their own 45. I think it was about 10 minutes left. And for the defense of the Bengals not to allow them to get a first down, that's the ball game. That's the, that's the ball game, right? Because the very – no, 
the drive where they got the field goal and ultimately took the lead. Joe Burrow makes another mistake. And Nick Bolton just drops the – he drops the interception. He catches it, gets the one knee in, slides out of bounds, rolls, and loses the ball on the roll and doesn't complete the catch. Otherwise, that's another interception on Cincinnati's side of the 50. So both quarterbacks in the fourth quarter were real (laughs) – just real questionable and shaky with some of their decision-making. But ultimately, it came down to the fact that Zach Zach Taylor, another thing he did, they squib kicked it, which took five seconds off the clock after they scored that uh, 41-yard touchdown mm-hmm. by P. Ryan. They squib kicked it. That took five. So instead of it being nine seconds left, with Casey having the ball, and then the game is different. Patrick Mahomes, bro. So I watched the film. This is the crazy thing. Andy Reid takes took full blame for the play call. I don't care what play you call. If it's a bad play call, throw the ball away. Yeah. Every quarterback knows that. Every quarterback knows I got five seconds. As soon as I snap it, I'm going to my first look. I'm throwing it, or I'm throwing it away, right? The second option was Tyreek Hill. He might have been the third option on the play. The first option, this is the killer. The first option was open. Kelsey was open on the slant. He was open. Just pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. He's open. He gets the inside. He's 6'5". Throw it up. Give your 6'5 tight end a chance. You still have a second left if you pull the trigger. Man, look, that dude, man, I don't know, because you know his 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 wife, fiance, irritates me to no end. <laughs> she irritates me to no end. I don't know what she made for him for breakfast. I don't whatever she did. I've just never he ref- Man, that dude, you know how they unmask the guy on Scooby-Doo at the end? Yeah. It's always like, it was almost like somebody took the mask off that dude and Bad Patrick came out for the second half. It was like, there's no way 50 yards in a half? Come on, man. This is this is the biggest stain. This would be the biggest stain on his resume. And I... All great players have stains on their resume. Michael Jordan has a stain on his resume. Tom Brady has a stain on his resume. This right here, in my opinion, I don't think Patrick Mahomes could get any lower. I don't. Not from his performance. No. I think that was the worst second half. And at first, I was listening to his press conference, and halfway through, I'm like, nah, I don't like what I'm hearing. I just don't like, I'm getting that saying, I'm getting that, you know, we got to go back and watch film. I'm getting that type of talk, right? And I'm like, nope, you're not you giving me what I need to hear. You know what you do. You're not giving me what I need to hear. And then about the seven-minute mark, he says, yo, I got a 21-3 lead at home in the championship game. I got to be better. Ain't no way that should happen. And I was like, okay, that's all I needed to hear. I need you to tell these people that you cost your team and this organization a trip to the Super Bowl. That's what I need. 
I need that accountability. Now we straight. Now we straight. We straight. It took seven minutes. It took seven minutes, but we finally got to it, right? Because let's be real. As much as that chief defense was maligned going into this game, yeah. as much as they got blitzed in Cincinnati, that chief defense balled out yesterday, bro. Yeah. They played they darn good. They played great. They played darn good. And this came down to which quarterback made the biggest mistake. That's really what it came down to. And ultimately, it was Patrick Mahomes. And then, this is the kicker, to let you know he knew had no clue what was going on. My man called a timeout. First of all, you didn't have any timeouts, my dude. <laughs> the Chiefs didn't have any timeouts. What are you calling timeout for? You are totally unaware of the situation right now. On, of what's going on. Totally unaware. Lucky Lefty Podcast. So we're kind of parlaying this into, we're about to move to the NFC Championship game, but we're kind of parlaying this into lessons learned for Notre Dame. And Malik, you just pointed out like how important the quarterback situation is and how it can turn around a program to get a top-notch quarterback. I, I was about to send up a prayer for your boy Ben Skoranek for a while. <laughs> So this is the problem. This is the problem about players like Ben Skoranek is that he's going to hide on the roster the whole season. Unfortunately, he's going to be on the roster the whole season. And then it's always that one moment in playoff history where he just happens to be wide open. Because nobody was thinking about him. That's where if you're a role player, you got to be a role player. Yeah. He wasn't a role player there. Yeah. And it almost cost him. Because if they didn't if they didn't win, they're playing that play back over and over again on ESPN. So I think Ben Skoranek, man, listen, <laughs> I don't know how you got there in Los Angeles. Special <laughs> teams. He's been a beast on special teams. He's been a yeah. beast on special teams. That's how you that's how you make a roster. I don't know how you found yourself on the field in that moment. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. I know you found your way on the team, but on the field in that second, that's the difference of why they paid certain players the Cooper Cup money of the world and why they paid people like AB a million approval. This is why I'm taking the Bengals in the, in the uh, Super Bowl. Because I think the Rams opened up at like a four-point favorite last night. I haven't seen it. This morning, but originally I know they opened up as a four-point favorite, but I'm taking the Bengals. And the reason I'm taking the Bengals is other than I have to give flowers to Matthew Stafford. I do, because I think he was with a bad organization. He's a pretty good quarterback. I wouldn't put him on the same level as some of the other guys, but he's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. In my opinion, if all things are equal, if all things are equal, I think I think I think he proved himself. Like, yo, they got him there to get them to the Super Bowl, and he did it. it. So, but I probably would still take Joey B over him. But more than that, I'll take Zach Taylor. Oh, look, man, Sean Sean McVay is just too smart for his own good. I can't stand cats like that, especially in big time games. Sean McVay and Andy Reid, where they just out 
they outthink themselves. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? You got first and goal, bro. You got first and goal from the five yard line. They got six DBs on the field. The Bengals have six DBs on the field. It's first and goal at the five. What are you doing? Right. What are you doing? Why are you passing the ball? They're going empty set. For what? For what? It's just telling you to run it. They're telling you to run the ball. Please run it, bro. See? You know, I I can't. Stuff like that. McVeigh, third three, tie ball game. This dude throws the wackest screenplay I've ever seen in my life. But think about McVeigh in the game before. McVeigh in the game before was playing so scared. Yes. In the second when he half, got the, he when he got the lead. One. Yeah. Yeah. So I already know he's gonna be nervous in that game against the Bengals. And there's gonna be some questionable calls in crunch time because he's gonna be overthinking. He overthought the last Super Bowl. Remember, he overthought that last Super Bowl. Yo, you talking about the one? You talking about the Super Bowl where everybody credit they give credit to Tom Brady? Yeah, Tom. And it was a like, defensive yeah, battle. Like, oh, Tom Brady won another Super Bowl. It's like, dude, Belichick. Belichick outspeed. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm taking Zach Taylor over McVay. Okay. I am not impressed by Sean McVay, bro. I'm not. I'm just not. I'm not. The egghead, the egghead young coach superstar thing is, is overrated. It's I'm overrated. Not. But I'll give him credit for being honest enough to say, yo, I got to get off this dude. Uh, golf ain't good enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least he was honest enough to say, yo, Jared Golf is not it. We got to get off of him. But you got to give a lot of credit to the, the Rams organization for buying in to winning now. They probably don't have picks like the Lakers until 2027, but no. they're going to get a Super Bowl real soon. <laughs> hey, we talked about how huff that offensive line is. Aaron Donald's going to go crazy. Yeah, I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it. Joey B., Joey B's going to see 99 a whole lot. But that's the thing. Joey B's been seeing every defensive line all year, so that's not going to fade him, which, is, which in my opinion is like the reverse psychology. He got to Tom Brady because Tom Brady's not used to be gotten to. Yeah. Joey B may take 10 sacks in the first quarter, but that brother going to stay in there, though. That's different. Joey B's going into the Super Bowl already yeah. knowing that their D line is gonna give them a long day, so they so it's like they they're thinking past that. Most teams will go into it being like, "How are we gonna stop Aaron Donald, Bob Miller, Sharif Floyd, and all they got?" The Bengals know what's gonna happen. They not they not trying to make the offensive line play above expectations. They know no. they can't block. No, so <laughs> they're gonna focus on cooking number eleven, cooking Eric Old Weddle. And cooking that secondary, David Ramsey gonna fall asleep. Well, you know they gonna play. They play. They play 90 percent zone. They play eighty five ninety percent zone. I'm saying for who we're looking, what side we're looking for, we're looking for number eleven. Oh heck yeah! 
Yeah, yeah. number eleven. Yeah, Jamar Chase. You have to catch. You have to catch Jalen at the right time. You have to lull them to sleep. You got to lull them to sleep and then lull catch them. Sleep, cook number eleven and come back to Jalen. Right. Yeah. That's the game plan. And then Joe Mixon is good enough. Joe Mixon is good enough catching the football and running the football to keep them balanced. The thing that I like that what is going to be good for uh, the Bengals is mm-hmm. that if they the Bengals use Joe Mixon just a slightly similar to what they was doing with Debo yesterday, it'll be a great game. Because Joe Mixon sealed the game in overtime yesterday. I mean, they've been playing in the past. They've been playing in the past. He has the ability to keep them on. Joe's getting getting smacked the majority of that game. And he's going to get smacked. He's going to get smacked in the Super Bowl. (laughs) But he's going to be respected enough for when we're doing play action. Yeah. He's gonna be tough enough to at least fall forward on some of them to take the pressure off of Joe Burrow. You can't. There's, a, there's not another running back. You couldn't name three more. You couldn't name three running backs outside of Joe Mixon that can alleviate what the offense needs from Joe Burrow in the league. He's like one of those few veteran running backs that make an offense that much better, like an Alvin Kamara. A Chris Tyree for Notre Dame. If we use him well enough, we can keep him off balance because now you got to worry about just enough running and just enough passing. That's why Joe Burrow got 400 yards because you got to respect Joe Mixon. You think they respected their running back yesterday outside of Debo? Not really. In my opinion. Well, see, once again, that's why I say guys that depend so much on their scheme. McVay, Reed, Shanahan. Oh, I can put any player in my scheme and make it work. Dude, go get good players. Go get good players. It's okay to go get good players. And that's what they're trying to do at the Rams. They're trying to get all the the, the best players and then put a young head, 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 head coach there. Right. And bring the two together. But the difference is your coaching is going to be out-coached because he's going to have too much on his plate. You got a celebrity at your quarterback position, at your DB position. You got the best defensive player in the world and the second best defensive player in the world from a couple of years ago. You got a lot of stuff going on, and it's in L.A., so you, you, there's a lot of pressure, especially for a guy that overthinks. He ain't got to get on the plane to go nowhere. The Super Bowl in his backyard. Yeah. So I'm 1,000% taking the big <laughs> That's just I'm like definitely, a, Look, that's man, like that's the one a, thing. That's another lesson we should learn. Tommy has to move on from this system, man. And I hope Tommy Reeves doesn't fall in love with this whole system because we saw it in the Fiesta Bowl, right? And we talked about it. We did a full show about how important the first half is in explosive offenses. And in the second half, how you have to line up, run the ball, and make plays. Right? Explosive plays come in the first half. Teams like Alabama, Ohio State get the bulk of their offense in the first half. And in the second half, they pretty much just bring it home. 
Tommy Reese, we have to learn. I hope he learns the lesson from the Fiesta Bowl that once you get all the points and the big plays in the first half from scheme, you had an entire month to scheme Oklahoma State's defense, right? You knew if you went to that look on the Chris Tyree touchdown, you knew the blitz they were going to come with, and you knew what you needed to do to get the touchdown. Now, when it happens and they make adjustments and you make adjustments and plays need to be made in the second half, can you put your best players in a position to make the play? It's as simple as that. And then the players have to make plays because I can't put all of that on Tommy Reeves. Jack Cone missing Lorenzo on a post pattern has nothing to do with Tommy Reeves. But you cannot depend on scheme for four quarters against good teams. You can't. You can't, yeah. You definitely can't scheme four quarters against good teams. You have to be able to scheme a first good set of plays and then react off of what the defense is showing you. This it's impossible to scheme a whole game. It's impossible. But what you need to be prepared for is how to scheme in moments of the game like your coaching situation because the players are going to play the game yeah you can only give them moments in the game whether it's a good play call or whether it's a good coaching decision yep that can get you to win not winning the game for one side or the other you need both but you can't overdo it by putting players in positions thinking that you're going to coach them through the whole thing. It's not going to happen. Cincinnati's biggest problem was they didn't have the players to go make the plays in totality. The coaching was coming. I thought they had coaching with Marvin Lewis. But when you don't have no quarterback, it makes it hard because now Come on, man. You're being a little disrespectful. Just a little bit. Because when you say that, I'm envisioning you talking about Andy Dalton when he was there. Carson before the knee injury. Yeah, Carson was a dude. Yeah, I'm talking about Andy Dalton. Okay, okay, okay. And it just shows you the difference between a guy that can hold a place. Right. But he was solid. That's why I said Marvin Lewis was a good coach. Andy Dalton just wasn't good enough to – to, to get over the hump, but a Marvin Lewis and a Joe Burrow together, yeah, you're seeing playoff appearances because Marvin Lewis got the defense covered, right? So that's the difference. Lucky Lefty Podcast, man. I am sorry about that. I am <clears throat> started a show, people hit me up. First of all, you know the type of dude I am, I always. My dude is taken care of. Y'all don't have to worry about the bet. Oh, y'all talking about cash? Like you pay. My boy is taken care of. Like, relax, relax. We were were on the phone. We were on the phone literally the last ten seconds of that game before the game was over. Is that there is no run and hide in this relationship? (laughs) You know, no. I called as we, soon as that and then we handled the biz. Tell him as soon as the pick happened. Soon as the pick happened, my phone rang. We booking that ticket to LA. 
And you told what you tell me, like, bro, come on. He said, come to LA. We're coming to the Super Bowl. That was dude, we good. Y'all don't have to worry about us. We make a bet, it's it's That's good. Right. That's right. It is, it is great because now we can put the rest. We can put the rest of whole Josh Allen and, and Peyton uh Patrick Mahomes and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. We can put that to rest. To bed. You, to man, you really People are still going at you about this Josh Allen stuff, boy. You are really going in. That's the first thing he called me yesterday. The first thing he said, the first word I heard was Josh, Josh Allen. The first first word out of his mouth. I'm like, dude, wait a minute. <laughs> You're about to go to a Super Bowl. Why are you talking about Josh Allen right now? Because <laughs> the hype needs to be stopped and the real acknowledgement needs to start. No more Josh Allen. It's Joe Burrow. That's what I'm saying. Josh Allen can be good in the top 15, bottom 15. But that top five spot is JB all day. That's it. That's it. If Buffalo wants to keep letting people steal their money every year, go get you a real quarterback, man. <laughs> Come on, Lucky, man. Lucky podcast. We're talking the NFL championship weekend and lessons learned. And lessons learned um, that need to be learned. I have an interesting. Uh, so this player Clemson has a, a podcast where he interviews. It's pretty dope concept, you know, man. I'm a, I'm a content content nerd. I love content, right? So the player at uh, Clemson, I guess he was injured, so he started a podcast last season. He was talking to players from other teams. So he, he spoke to Avery Davis, right? And Avery Davis has some very interesting comments. We're talking about what needs to be learned. This is Avery Davis talking about how he became a precise route runner and ultimately got the starting job and captaincy at Notre Dame. Maybe the pandemic was probably – it really was beneficial for me, at least, because I was able to work on my, my craft. We had so much time off. So, like, I was just watching receiver film or – on YouTube, watching guys move, how they move, how they cut, where their body body angles are when they cut, how they stop, like how what does it take to get it out of in and out of a break efficiently, things like that. Right. How many steps do I need to get out? Of? Where am I at right now? How can I get it down to a less step? How can I sell a, a defender? Like I was really getting into the ins and outs of the position, and then I had a really good fall camp, and I ended up winning the starting job my senior year, and I had a, a pretty solid senior year, and I felt like I could have did more honestly, but yeah. it played out the way it wanted to. Hey, man, let me tell you something, bro. When your wide receiver that is the best route runner in the wide receiver room, you can't hear me? I can hear you. I mean, your mic has been messed up all morning, so you can't hear me? So basically, look, Avery Davis, that's him. When your best wide receiver, Malik's going to come back in, when your best wide receiver and your best route runner in the room is saying that he learned his technique from YouTube, that's not a good thing, my man. That's just not a good thing. Okay, I, I, I dropped out. Okay, okay. so what were you saying? Well, I'm saying when your best wide receiver and your best route runner in the room is learning all his technique from YouTube, oh, that's not good, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that's that's not that's not a good thing. And you know what's so sad is that you know I think he was I think he was relating it towards how he got better to transition. You know how to transition from being a quarterback to receiver. So he no, 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 no. He made that transition like a year prior. In relation, but in relation to trying to be able to compete for a starting spot, obviously he felt like he couldn't find it at school. Because if you're going on the internet, that's like saying he don't need to go to Notre Dame. He can just go on YouTube and learn the stuff from the class. What's that say about Notre Dame? What's that saying about the coaching? So what does that say about the coaching? If you got coaches on campus getting paid to get you better, and you going on free services, <laughs> a free service accessible through your phone. Yeah, yeah. That's not now. That's now. That's a different story we heard from a guy that said that we ain't got no talent. So something's not adding up. So. Look, man, you know, we welcome, we welcome, we are a different podcast, right? We're one of the podcasts and we welcome like people that like to troll. We got our guy, Wet Blanket, who's an Oklahoma State fan, but he has become a big fan of the show. So uh, we got somebody trolling right now, Sandusky, Ohio, bro. And we welcome him to the show, man. You know what I'm saying? But you know, you know my motto. You know what I'm saying? You act up in public, I'm gonna get you in public. <laughs> so, you know, he's up in here arguing about Notre Dame. He's an Ohio State fan, so he's talking trash about the game coming up. You know, and he's like, Yeah, you know, look. I don't want to say anything. Okay. He said he's talking about how ugly. The town is right South Bend, but he's saying that like Columbus is like, like come on, fam, that's like me. That's that's not a good analogy because I'm from Chicago, which is literally one of the most beautiful cities in the world. That's right, especially that's right. during the summertime. That's like me trashing Columbus. It's like so why stop? Now that's that's lame. You want to talk about the football programs? Cool. You talking about the city of South Bend? You talking about the city of South Bend? That's lame. That's what super lame. Receive it. What he don't know is that Notre Dame got their own zip code. So you, if you talking about Notre Dame, Notre Dame got their own specified area. So South Bend technically ain't even Notre Dame. It's like, come on, man. Like, so what, what are you talking, talking about? about? Yeah, right. Nobody talking about that. What are you talking about? Yeah, you. Danny trashes Oklahoma State. But Ryan Day went got Oklahoma State's defensive coordinator. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So and, and the thing is, he acts like Ohio State isn't in some trouble. Ohio oh, State you talking about game one? Game you talking about game one? Game one. Ohio State got a lot of questions to answer. And it starts with that D-line. It starts <laughs> with the D-line. And on top of that, I'm going to question the whole secondary of Ohio State. Oh, you can question that for like the last five years. <laughs> I mean, that's just real talk. So, so yeah, Ohio State got great offensive weapons. But, damn it, 
they might make us look better on offense come that first game. Because we got talent. And Ohio Didn't Ohio State, State almost lose out the gate to Minnesota last year? Ohio State defense ain't Georgia's defense. They were down like they were down like what twenty one to a Utah. So Ohio State can give up some points now. So Ohio State is in the same boat as us. They didn't win a national championship, and they're level behind Alabama, dude, and Georgia right now. It is what it is. Great offense, suspect defense. Y'all let did what Michigan put up forty. Yeah, did Michigan put up forty? And it's crazy that he's repping Ohio so much because most of the team's not even from Ohio. That's why they lost. Them boys from Texas and Florida was cold. They're cold. I'm looking at that like this ain't Ohio State team. And C.J. Stroud copped the plea the week of the Heisman. Talk about if it wasn't snowing, we would have put forty up. So it just shows you they don't really have it in the heart because weather is affecting them boys. If it was a little a little warmer, if they had a couple more blankets on the sideline. Come on, man. Come on, man. You in the snow. <laughs> in the snow. Every day. You walk the ground. Lucky Lefty Podcast, man. We hey, I'm sorry. We love you, Sandusky. But you know, when you act up in public, we gotta get you. We 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 gotta get you. But you're more than welcome to be a part of LL Nation, man. Red Blank was in here earlier. We're, we're slowly recruiting fans from all fan bases. All over. Absolutely. Absolutely. All <laughs> over. All over. That's what we're about. So we're getting ready to have a guest, uh, Coach Carl Reed. He's with 24, uh, 247 Sports now as a college football analyst. He used to be the coach at uh, the Smet High School in St. Louis. And his connection to that is he used to be the head coach for Christian Gray, 2023 defensive back recruit who actually just visited Notre Dame this weekend. So we'll see if he has any detail uh, about that. And then we'll talk to him about the transfer portal and overall just, you know, how Notre Dame is viewed in the recruiting world. So we'll get to that in a few seconds. Um, Man, bro, we should just go ahead and get it out the way. Let's just get it out the way. You know what time it is. Petticoat. 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 Junction. It's time to get petty. Oh, we did a good job executing are you upset with something? And fire up the Petticoat Junction train. I just don't like you. You don't? No. What is today's Petty Historic Petty Junction? That's right, each and every day. Got a penny for it. Let it rip. Hey, who day? It's your day, baby. Well, this is basketball related. I was okay. walking on the beach yesterday. Uh-huh. And I saw a, a 
all-star Westbrook jersey in LA. It's super petty because you won't find that jersey ever again. Wow. And especially in LA, it's petty that you bringing that jersey out. That's bringing bad feelings because you got Lakers fans who don't even call him Westbrook. They call him Westbrook. So it's petty to put that man's whole all-star jersey out there like that in a time like this. Because at the end of the day, even though he's a Hall of Fame first ballot, he's a seventh-man bench player right now. So far from an all-star game, I couldn't tell you when he's going to ever come back. So the pettiest thing I saw yesterday was a Westbrook all-star game. Not even a late one. <laughs> My man, so I'm walking on the beach and I see a Westbrook all-star jersey. In L.A. Those two things don't even go together. So, I have two petty stories. The first one is the picture posted by the fathers of Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow smoking cigars outside Arrowhead. Yo, first of all, Jamar Chase, hey man, buy your pop some better jeans, man. Come on, man. You in the league, man. Then your pops don't have to wear. Buy your pops some better jeans to rock with the jersey. Coach Joe looked like he walked straight out the factory in Ohio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He just got on work. Yeah. Like, he ain't get no leads, man. You know, you got to book that week to the So that was petty. The pettiest, though, and I wasn't able to pull the video, but the video is out there. Go and search the CBS affiliate in Cincinnati. They had a reporter outside the stadium doing reporting. And she called a Chiefs fan over to ask him how he felt. He started to talk and she basically cut him off and said, it doesn't matter because the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. (laughs) And I lost it. I was like, oh, that's mad petty. But I'm glad she caught the right one though, bro. That could have gone wrong if she could have caught the if she caught the wrong Chiefs fan mad coming out of the building. That could have gone totally wrong, dude. That could have been a dip, a walk. It could have been something crazy. Could have been something crazy. Fortunately, she caught the right dude. He chuckled. His girlfriend walked up. They walked away. She ended her segment. And uh yeah, I just thought that was super petty, man. I thought that was super petty. So that's, we had to get that over with, man. We got a guest coming up. Wanted to get that out the way before Coach Carl Reed jumps on with us. So you didn't get an opportunity Friday to talk about, yeah, he, man, y'all pray for my boy. This move has him to shovel. With this equipment, everything, new phone. Gotcha. All right. So, hey, and you know what? It's, it's 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 really tricky when you're talking to fans that just lose, right? Just like talking to players that just lost a game. It's real tricky, man. So she she was playing with fire. 
playing she, with fire. Yeah, she was definitely playing with fire. I was like, yo, this could have gone the wrong way if that was the wrong person coming out the stadium. I knew what she was trying to do, but it's like See, if you, you chasing content, it might get you chasing some, some hands. <laughs> you didn't get an opportunity, uh, not Friday, but Thursday I was explaining to everybody um, that Caleb Williams to Wisconsin is real. And LL Nation was like, I don't understand. And I kept saying, like, all right, I'm trying to explain to you what Malik told me and what's really going down. So go ahead and explain why or why Paul Chris is so important in this whole thing. And let's yeah. point out, Wisconsin literally just started classes. USC started classes on the 10th. I would know. Yeah, you would know. I would know. <laughs> so Wisconsin just started classes, I think, on the 25th, 25th or 26th. So the Wisconsin thing is real. And, and it's true because Paul Chris at Wisconsin is one of the best quarterback development quarterback coaches and coordinators in college football. This is the guy that made Russell Wilson who Russell Wilson was in the short term he was there. And Caleb Williams fits a lot of what Russell Wilson does. And you put a Caleb Wilson, a Caleb Williams in a Wisconsin offense, he's going to get the things he left Oklahoma for. He's going to get the development. He's going to get the system in place. He's going to know the ins and outs. And Coach Chris being the guy that he is, he's going to make decisions about Caleb going to the league. He's not going to make any buffs about it. He knows what he's getting with if Caleb comes there. And that fits exactly what Caleb was looking for. That yep. professional development to getting ready to be the first round guy that he knows he's going to be. Well, I almost committed to coach Paul Chris twice. The first time I was going to commit, he ended up going to Pittsburgh. And then Notre Dame offered me right after I took that visit and I ended up going to Notre Dame. The second time, I was going to go to Wisconsin. I went up there. It was set up perfect. This is when Jack, Jack was still at school. <laughs> and what ended up happening was I I didn't want to be in the cold, man. I can't lie to you, man. Notre Dame and South Bend was kicking my butt for a year. And it was between a hot, a hot place and a cold place, and I chose a hot place. But other than that, Paul Chris is the guy that you want your son to go to if he's got some talent. If he's just a good quarterback that is, you know, your, your traditional style of quarterback, Paul Griss is a great fit because he'll get you as good as your ceiling is. But when you're cooking with grease like Caleb Williams, yeah. and you match him with a Paul Chris, you'll see Wisconsin be a top five team next year easily, easily, easily. One of the most understanding coaches of offense. He's a cool guy. I wouldn't call him a player's coach because he's a little older. You're with a play, you're older than a Marcus Freeman, you're older than a, you know, one of those fun coaches. He's the coach that's going to keep it real. He's the coach that's going to get you the right position and the tools. And he's not going to have you out there looking crazy. You know, so Caleb making a professional decision like that would be shocking to a lot of people. But to the football world, he's making the best decision for his, where he wants to go. Lucky Lucky Podcast, Sean Davis, Malik Zaire, brought to you by Anora Whiskey. Go to anorawhiskey.com. It's that premium American whiskey. 
anorwhiskey.com. And we'd like to welcome to the Lucky Lefty Podcast, LL Nation, Carl Reed, college football analyst for 247 Sports, previously the head coach of Des- Desmet High School in St. Louis. And uh, there's a recruit that's currently being recruited by Notre Dame that he has knowledge of. But we really want to get into uh, some more recruitment talk and transfer portal with him. Coach Reed, welcome to the Lucky Lefty Podcast. Guys, thank you for having me, man. It's great to be here with you. So we were just talking about the transfer of one Caleb Williams and that whole saga leaving Oklahoma. And when news broke last week that Wisconsin had become a finalist for his services, a lot of people were shocked and saying, man, how in the world could he go to Wisconsin? Like in your estimation, would that be a good move with the connection of Paul Chris and him developing Russell Wilson? And most people just assumed he would go follow Link, uh, Lincoln Riley to USC. How do you see that playing out? Well, recruiting always has twists and turns to it, right? So you can never say uh, that anything is definite until you see the name on the dotted line or you see the kid in, in this instance walk on campus. Coach Chris has an incredible reputation for developing quarterbacks and he has an incredible relationship with the players that he's coached uh being around a lot of guys that have played in the league and have played at wisconsin for coach chris uh he's he's a player's coach um and he's a he's an older guy and so typically guys in his age range you know don't have that moniker of being a player's coach but it's real easy for the guys that are really in the know on the football side to understand that uh why a kid would want to look at wisconsin especially to play quarterback when you're trying to go to the nfl like i'm sure caleb williams is it's all about fit it's all about system it's all about how you fit in um, people try to make it about the nil money but i think that wherever he went though that those nil dollars are going to be there for him right you have he has to pick a situation that he feels like gives him the best opportunity to be the NFL quarterback that he's trying to be. And he's being very thorough about it. And a lot of times in recruiting, when a kid is being as thorough as he is being, um, it does unnerve people. It does give people uneasy feelings. But I think he's earned the right, you know, to look at that situation and make the decision that's best for himself. So we talked offline uh, this weekend, and we talked about two specific topics. We talked about the NIL, and then we also talked about in recruiting, you don't like early commitments. Mm-hmm. And just explain to our audience why you think early commitments are not something that you think is in the best interest of most players. Because you did talk about some players having specific circumstances where early commitment is the right thing to do. Well, so just let me give you an example. I have a nephew in the class of 25 that's going to be one of the top prospects in the nation. And my brother and I... Um, we were kind of debating this weekend because he's got 15 early offers and it's starting to take off for him. There's a 95% chance that out of the 15 offers he has currently, none of those coaches will be there by the time he enters his junior year of high school. Mm. Right. So what are we even really talking about? Right. So now you'll have kids that will commit early. I'm going to commit to you right now. I'm in the class of 23. I'm going to commit to you as a junior right now. And six months from now, the um, the coaches aren't going to be here. 
Right. 12 months from now, it's going to be complete pandemonium, you know, in terms of the staff. So why would a kid, if, if I was a kid, if I was a top tier kid, there's no way that I would commit and or sign um, before the start of the February period. It's, it's too much change. It's too much. There are coaches that get fired, coordinators, position coaches that are recruiting these kids. Their coaches are firing immediately after signing day, but they're trying to secure the class. And so then a year from now, we're wondering why the kid wants to transfer because everybody he's built a relationship with on campus is no longer there. So I think that kids are being pressured into making those decisions and there's no adjustments being made. If you spent, so you would expect a high school kid and his family, they don't understand recruiting. That's the only time in their life they're going to go through that process. You know, we do it for a living, so we're in it and we get it. But if, if there's no way that a guy can build a relationship with a kid and then he not end up being there and the kid not be upset about it and the family not be upset and feel like they've been cheated through the process. And the coaches are pressure. We want you to commit. It gets them raises. It gets them notoriety. But that is not in the it is not in the best interest of the kid that's in a class of 23 to commit. Most of the time they're going to decommit. Most of the time that coach is going to change. It, it's just not in his best interest to do that. And it's not just the head coach. You're talking about assistant coaches, everything that are changing. I believe Notre Dame just lost their tight end coach to mm -hmm. Boston College today. <laughs> yeah, so whoever the tight end is that if, if you're the starting tight end at Notre Dame, you're not dealing with Marcus Freeman day in and day out. That's not the guy that's coaching you, and that's not how, how you who you're in the meetings with, especially – when you're talking about a defensive-minded head coach. If I play middle linebacker for USC, I'm not dealing with Lincoln Riley every day. I'm dealing with whoever coaches the linebackers and whoever the defensive coordinator is. So those position coaches and coordinators are more of an important factor to where I'm going to be as a player. What I always told my players in the past is we want to at least try to get you to where the guys that recruited you are going to be there for your freshman year because then you can get off to a good start. And if you get off to a good start, no matter what changes come after that, you should be able to navigate them. But if you get off to a bad start because there's unfamiliarity there, uh, that can give you a rough beginning to your college career. Once again, Carl Reed joins us on the Lucky Lefty Podcast 247 Sports right here. I am Sean Davis and, of course, the original Lucky Lefty himself, Malik Zaire. Brought to you by Anora Whiskey. We also talked about NIL and the comments that Nick Saban made prior to the national championship game calling for regulations. And you're against that. Talk about why you feel like regulations are the worst thing that can happen to NIL and high school athletes. Well, I don't know if I'm totally against it, but how can you do it? If they, the colleges are not the ones paying the kid. They're still trying to hold on to the ideal of amateurism. So how can you limit an amateur, right? You can only put rules in place for employees. And I think that lawyers and um and the people that are making those decisions will be able to, to kind of weed through that. Does there need to be some regulation? The schools didn't want to play the players. The NCAA didn't want to play them. They, they put it on an outside entity. They said you can get as much advertising money as you want, but it has to be outside of the realm of the college and the college is not supposed to be involved. You know, so if the college is not involved and if it's an outside entity outside of the NCA, 
I don't see how you can put in a regulation for that. And there, so there's unintended consequences to every decision that's made or every rule that is put in place. So if you didn't want to deal with it and you and you put it on the outside entity, then you have to deal with the the after effects of, of what that will cause. Now, what do you see with it? You know, I agree with you that you can't really regulate something that's not even controlled by them. But how do you see it as a benefit for a player when the NIL is not really regulated, but not every school is attractive enough to even pull companies to want to give them advertising. So is it more about being a top five player or a top player in the country? You only are limited to a certain amount of schools due to the NIL being prosperous at a place over another, or is it more of you believe you can attract the NIL wherever you go? Well, I think the first thing that every player needs to realize is they should keep the main thing the main thing, because even with the NIL situation, that that's only a small fraction, maybe a tenth, in some cases a hundredth of what you'll get if you make it to the National Football League. Outside of, you know, guys like Bryce Young and some of those really, really top tier guys, you're not going to get a million dollars in NIL money. You're not going to get half a million dollars in NIL money. You're going to get to eat free at some restaurants. You might get five, ten, or twenty thousand dollars. So even if you a third or fourth round pick, that value of that is going to far outweigh whatever you get in NIL money. So if I was talking to a player, the first thing I would be telling them to do is go where you think you can be a pro, right? Go, go to the system. That fishing bust because most guys that that end up being bust are bust because they didn't handle recruiting right and they didn't go to a place that gives them a good fit or where their style of play fits the system that the school is going to run. There's so much more to it than that. So when guys say, "Well, I'm going to go here because I got a bigger NIL deal," well, I guess that's fine. But then when you start to struggle, the business part of it kicks in and you don't have that deal going into the second year. They drop you as a client. And they, they, they have those things in place and those clauses and those contracts. I've seen several of them where they are allowed to get out of those deals um, if you're not productive. You know, so I still do think that the player, if the pros is the goal, you have to pick a place where you think you can be a pro. Also, you have to we, we can't undermine the value of your education. Right. You cannot undermine the value of what a degree from Notre Dame would mean, what a degree from some of these institutions means in the networking. You got an opportunity to far outweigh and out earn your earning power over a lifetime with degrees from some of these universities than you do with a two to three year window of you making some small NIL money. You know, so I think that has to be educated. But most kids aren't educated in that. Um, most high school coaches don't even understand how the NIL deals work. So they're not necessarily getting the advice that they need to get to even be in position to maximize one way or the other. What's the impact of the transfer portal on college football as it currently stands and on high school athletes and coaches? Is that in their mindset? Like if I choose this school and it doesn't work out, man, I can always transfer. Like, is that a part of the thinking? when high school coaches are taking their young men through the prospects of what school they want to choose. And then how you see the transfer portal working out in college football with, you know, needless to say, a lot of young men being left without scholarships a lot of times. Well, I think that everybody deserves the right 
to make the choice that they want to make for themselves, right, with the options that they have available. So if you enter the portal and you end up without a school to play at, then you have to be man enough to deal with the consequences of the actions that you took, right? So I don't feel bad for a kid who goes in the portal and ends up without a place to play because he has the right and the power to make a decision. Um, and in a lot of cases, you'll talk to a kid and you'll try to get them to stick through it and they won't want to, you know, and that's just part of it. Kids just didn't start transferring. Now they just had access to free transfer. Kids have been transferring. I mean, back when we were playing, guys were transferring. Guys would quit because it was too hard. They get to the college level and realize that it wasn't for them. You know, old guys, we always like to act like things are better were better when we were young and that things so messed up now, but that's just not the truth, right? It was yeah. messed up then. The way the coaches handled a lot of kids was messed up then. Guys were quitting in. Guys didn't love football in. Guys were transferring in. It's the same uh, situation that kids are going through. In terms of recruiting for high school kids, the transfer portal has hurt the borderline kids. It's, it's hurt the kid who may have been an inch too short or a step too slow, but he was really productive. So somebody still gave him an opportunity, and he got on campus, and he earned a, and he earned his way onto the field and got a chance to play. Because you have the transfer portal, those kids are going to be kind of left out and they'll play Division II, uh, maybe FCS if they're lucky, um, but they'll get an opportunity to do that, you know, and play at that level. So there's a lot more good players than it is great players, right? Yeah. So what I think that what some guys find out, and this, this hurts people's feelings sometimes, and I've said this to kids as a high school coach, I think now – you all, all the kids will end up at the level that they're really supposed to be at anyway, right? So some of these kids that are going Division two now because the portal has um, limited some opportunities, they would have went to Notre Dame and transferred out and been at a Division two school anyway because they wouldn't have been able to play, right? So it all takes care of itself. Um, it all washes out. And is there some misses every now and then? Sure there is. There's always an exception to the rule, but we know what the rule is and how good you really have to be to play football at that level. You know, what the transfer portal has done is given guys an excuse to say, well, I wasn't recruited at this level because they want to transfer portal kids. But really the harsh reality of it is you're going to the level of football that you probably are best suited to play anyway. So Notre Dame currently sits one or two in the 2023 recruiting class, depending upon the publication that you look at. What has changed, if anything, as far as the perception of Notre Dame on the recruiting trail since Marcus Freeman has taken over? Well, I don't think anything has changed. It's a destination spot. And even under Coach Kelly, Marcus Freeman was a big part of that. Um, he has a great reputation. Um, and he's been very good at what he does for a long time. So I just think that it continues on. Um, Brian Kelly was great. Regardless of how upset Notre Dame, people are with him for leaving. Brian Kelly is a great football coach. He was an excellent recruiter, and he has unbelievable relationships throughout the country, and I think he's going to do great at LSU. Um, but Marcus Freeman also was really, really good also, and he's been a great defensive coordinator and a great recruiter. Now we'll get an opportunity to see as a head coach um, if he puts himself in that elite level. But I still think that Notre Dame is recruiting at a very high level, and they're going to continue to sign the best guys in the country. He was a huge part of that. 
So moving forward, you talk about signing the best class. As a defensive coordinator, all of the signees in the 23 class are primarily on the defensive side of the ball. And Notre Dame fans are getting antsy, like, okay, when is the offensive side of the ball going to be taken uh, care of? Does that matter when your strength is one side of the ball? Do you typically recruit better on that side when you're the head coach? And it's more important to have a staff that you can trust on the offensive side of the ball, specifically an OC that can go out and set the tone recruiting-wise on the offensive side of the ball, or how does that work out? Well, I think right now timing is an issue. Most of those 23 commitments that that are signed or committed to Notre Dame at this point were guys he has been recruiting for a long time Mm -hmm. that were going to go play football for him anyway on the defensive side of the ball. As you go through the adjustments that they've made with some of the the staff changes they've made on offense, those guys will – will take shape. It's not like he's going to sign a class with all defensive players and no offensive players. Right. So, I, so I think that fans, a lot of times, um, they get antsy, but they don't even really understand what's going on um, outside of just the news updates that they hear and stuff on TV. He's going to go sign a quarterback. They're going to sign offensive linemen and running backs. They're going to get the guys that they need. Also, because of the academic requirements at Notre Dame and the recruiting process is a longer process for Notre Dame. You have to vet the guys academically. You have to make sure they're in classes that Notre Dame admissions will accept. There's a there's another level there of recruiting that you have to go through at Notre Dame that you don't have to go through at other places. And I think is that that starts to level itself out because Tommy Reese is still there as the offensive coordinator, right? Yeah. So you're not gonna you're not losing anything there. Now, you, you do talk about how Christian is going into a highly competitive situation at Notre Dame. Uh, and you talk about being fit is most important because you want to be able to get out there and really show what you can do. Now, the secondary position at Notre Dame is something that has always been a concern. What did you and Christian talk about or what did you guys talk about in terms of how he could fit and, and making that problem a little better? <laughs> Well, I never talked to my players and and, uh, and guys that I've coached, or even guys that I'm advising that didn't play for me. I never get into what school they should go to. I think that that's a decision that they should make. And I think that, that it, sometimes it can get abusive uh, when adults are trying to steer kids to certain schools. What I do tell them all to do is pick a place that's going to make you happy, pick a place that's going to make a, be a priority for you, but also you need to watch how they play and see if the way they play fits your game and if you're going to be able to make it on that campus. Um, I've, I've had a lot of kids. I've had a lot of big-time guys go Division One, but I think that that choice needs to be more, more so the choice that they make because they're the ones that's going to live with it. I love Marcus Freeman and I love Mike Mickens. I've known Mike Mickens for a very, very long time. We go way, way back. Um, but I'm not going to be the one that up their backpedaling. You know what I mean? So it has to be uh, something that he wants to do if that's the decision that he wants to make. What makes Christian Gray so special? Just let LL Nation and uh, the Irish fans know about this young man and what makes him so special. Well, you only you only get recruited at that level if you're elite, right? So when you're talking about the offers that he has and how bad he's coveted, you obviously have you check off the boxes. You long, you fast, you got a good change of direction. He can he can cover the ball in the deep middle of the field. He's a great open field tackler. You know, 
guys are going to check off those boxes if they're getting recruited by Notre Dame. But the thing that I think makes him special is he has competitive greatness, right? And that's something that a lot of people don't have and, and kids didn't have it then and not many of them have it now, but he does. He has an extreme amount of competitive greatness and the bigger the game, the bigger the moment, and he's not scared of those moments. And I think that's why he can come into a place like that and compete right away wherever he chooses to go. Now, sneaking back over to the transfer portal, it's safe to say that Alabama usually is one, two in recruiting, but it seems like they've won the transfer battle as well, getting Jameer Gibbs, getting Eli Ricks, uh, getting the Burton kid to transfer from Georgia over to Alabama. Is that something that is going to be consistent, the bigger programs getting the best players? In the transfer portal, Notre Dame was even successful getting Brandon Joseph to transfer from Northwestern over to Notre Dame. Is that a trend that's going to continue, or do you see some other schools being able to get top athletes to come down to possibly lower-tier uh, programs in the future? Why would you expect anything less from Nick Saban, yeah. right? Right. Um, there's, there's an old saying I heard a guy say one time that the losers are all different, but the winners are all the same, you know? The guys that are consistently winners, they're going to take whatever obstacles that are put in front of them and they're going to figure out a way to win. Um, and whether that's the transfer portal, whether that's NIL, the guys who win are going to continue to find creative ways to win within the new game that is put in place. And, you know, so right now the next wave of coaches, when you're deciding on who is going to be good and who's not going to be good, is going to really boil down to – who is able to adjust to the transfer portal, who is able to adjust to the personalities in the NIL game, and those are going to be the guys that have success. The old way is over. The old school stuff is over. Like the, the, the coach yelling and cussing out everybody and smacking you in the back of the head and making you run and full pad practice, that's over. Just let it go. It ain't going to ever be that way. It ain't the days that you you call your mama and your mama say you get you you gotta stay up there and play for coach. Don't call, you can't come home no more. I'm gonna change the locks. That don't exist no more. No, if you no, want to no. leave, you ain't even gotta talk to your mama no more. You just go up there and fill your paperwork out and be a man. So instead of crying about the way things used to be, adjust to the way they are. You know, players adapt. So adapt, adjust, and move on. This landscape of recruiting going into the 23 season, give me the guys that have impressed you the most in the 23 class. Give me some of the guys you've watched their film and you just heard people talk about them and you say, yo, this guy right here. Yeah, so I haven't seen them all because I mostly deal with the guys in the transfer report. I, I, I don't do a lot, you know, with the high school guys, but there there's always some impressive guys out there. I was just looking at them. Um, a wide receiver out of Memphis that's, that's, that I think is really special. You know, so there there are some guys out there um, that'll, make their, that'll make their presence felt here shortly. Um, but I think that the big thing about it is that they have to understand that recruiting is a process and you want to continue to work hard in everything you do. And, and once the hype settles, you want to get through the hype, all right? Because in the end, and, and I want and any kid who hears this, I want you to really understand this. In, in the end, the only way you're going to be successful is if you're really a good football player, right? You throw the, throw the rankings out, throw the offers out. When it all boils down to it, when it's all said and done, 
are you really a good football player? That's going to be the biggest question. So we know Caleb Williams is, is probably the biggest name right now left in the transfer portal. Um, who else might tilt the scales for a program that's still left in the transfer portal, in your, in your opinion? Who? I think Jared Ivey that just jumped in the transfer portal from Georgia Tech uh, at the defensive end. I think that, that he's a big one that's still on the board. Uh, there's still several quarterbacks out there that are probably at that second tier um, that can help a couple teams out. Man, when I was looking in the portal the other day, there are just so many good football players that are still in the transfer portal, man. It's just unbelievable the amount of talent that's there. Do you think that some of that plays because of the COVID rules and guys can still come back or leave an extra eligibility year that some teams, even though they may like these players, they just may not have the room for them? Yeah, you got to – so that it becomes a numbers game. That COVID year kind of threw a lot out because there was some kids that stayed for that extra year. It just limits the amount of spots. But I, I can tell you what, those college coaches are doing everything they can to get the best 85 players on their roster, and some guys are still going to be told, hey, I know you got that extra year, but you're going to have to use it somewhere else. We don't have space for you. You think they're telling them that? You think they're telling them that? They tell them that all the time. That's the business. <laughs> That's, cool. That's crazy. Speaking of that, speaking of the business, how fair or unfair? You talked about Brian Kelly, and both of us have said, look, we're glad he left when he left. Like, if he was going to leave, I'm glad you left when you left. It gave him enough time to be able to keep the 22 class intact. They lost a couple of players that decommitted. But keep that class intact and then establish yourself, get your team ready for the bowl game, and move on to the 23 class. I would rather a coach did that and left early rather than to do what Jim Harbaugh is doing right now. You have signing day coming up. You have guys that might even be thinking about jumping into the transfer portal, trying to see if Jim Harbaugh is going to stay. Now you have stories coming out early today saying that's not, But that's not fair, though, for you to say that because everything is about timing, right? Brian, wait, wait a minute. You said what's not fair? I'm sorry. It's not what? fair. It's not fair to be critical of Jim Harbaugh. No, no. I'm asking. I'm not being critical. Oh, okay. I'm asking you from a timing standpoint, whether it's Kelly leaving early or Harbaugh waiting, and getting NFL offers, do you view that as being uh, unfair to the players? I wasn't being critical. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to know, do you think that's unfair to players, whether they're in the program or in the recruiting class? The fair left town years ago. <laughs> there's, no, there's no such thing as being fair in college football. Yeah. Brian, there's never, number one, there's, there's two things here. There's never a great time to lose a great coach. There's right. never a great time for that. Right. I don't care about the recruit window. And there's also never a great time to lose your best player. Right? Right. So the timing, throw the timing out the window. Brian Kelly, the timing worked out for Brian Kelly because that is when LSU needed a coach. The timing is working out this way for Harbaugh because that's the NFL window of hiring a coach. The timing always sucks. And you're going to lose kids and lose things in your program if your coach leaves, whether he leaves now, two months ago, or two months from now. You know, the timing is what it is, you know. But at the end of the day, um, you have to really, really monitor those situations, man. And the kids, the kids are in a bad position at times, but this is the business. And they have to be educated on it. 
They have to be prepared for it, right? And we have to make sure that um, everything, man, works itself out in their favor. But you just want to arm them with as much information so they can make the best decision for them that they can possibly make. How much do you hold or take with you as a coach? Uh, now that you've transitioned over to your analyst position at 247 Sports, being a high school coach, how much do you take a young man's decision with you? Because I'm sure you have a relationship with those players that goes beyond once they leave your program. I'm sure you stay in contact with them. Like, do you look back and say, and say to yourself, maybe I should have said this or tried to get this kid from this standpoint when you see certain situations don't eventually work out? Or is it just the fact of, you know, getting that young man to be accountable to his decision like you spoke about earlier? No, I, I never feel like that because I'm going to tell them the truth, you know, from the beginning to the end. So I'm anything that needs to be said, I'm going to say it when it has to be said, whether they like it or not, you know, whether they want to hear it or whether they don't want to hear it. So at that time, when we make a decision, even if I don't agree with the decision that's made, I'm still with you no matter what, you know, in that decision making process. But I think we could all go back in life. Right. And and say, man, if I would have did this different, if I would have did that different, I didn't end up in the league, man. So if I would have went to to Oklahoma instead of Notre Dame, or if I would have went to – I could have went to Georgia, but I went to, to Clemson, I could have did this. Like, you can always look back on those situations. But the truth is, man, we don't have no reason, no 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 knowledge of how it's going to play out. We can't see the future. We, we just don't know, man. You make whatever decision you make, with the information that you have, a guy get a divorce, he didn't know that he was going to get a divorce. Like, he didn't go into it for that. He went into it with the best intentions, you know, to make it work. Yeah. You you pick a school and your coach leaves. You know what I mean? You 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 pick a school and, and algebra was a little tougher than you thought it was going to be, man, and you can't get past it. You know, three things that guys um, – that, that stops guys from – Doing well in school is girls, right? Math and the coaching change, right? One of those three things, man, can derail many careers, right? Yeah, you don't know, man. So you just do the best that you can, man. And that's one thing about life. If it doesn't work out, man, you got your whole life to regroup. So what? You didn't make it to the NFL, man. You got a good education. Let's get out here, man, and keep moving towards the life. We don't have a lot of time to sit and talk about what could have been. You made the decision you made based on the information you had at that time, and now it, it is what it is. So tell us about, you know, what you thought about those two games yesterday in the NFL. <laughs> you know, man, uh, Joe Burrow, if, if you look at Joe Burrow, uh, he's obviously the next superstar. At quarterback, and, and I, I said something to a couple guys yesterday. How good was that LSU team? Yeah, that won the national championship two years ago. Yeah. And and even though Ed Orgeron got fired and it, it, it didn't end up working out, we got to get a man some flowers for putting that team together. We got to give him some flowers and respect for how he recruited that roster and how he found that talent in those group of kids because those guys are playing, you know, exceptional in the league. And you can go back to decisions, you know, 
uh, Kansas City had an opportunity to kick a field goal and they didn't. You know, all of those things are decisions that you make over the course of the game. But Joe Burrow has the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, back in a situation to win when they haven't been there in a very long time. If you look at the Rams game with the 49ers, uh, the Rams played to the very end of the game. They made critical plays. And, and it just shows the difference of a change in franchise for two guys, Matthew Stafford, who was in Siberia, you know, in Detroit. And now he's in the Super Bowl with the Rams. And it was a lot of criticism for Odell Beckham, whatever he was going through with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. And now both of those guys in the Super Bowl with a chance to win it, you know, and it's got to be an unbelievable feeling for those guys. And it was great football play. I thought about that yesterday. And then I was actually talking to my dad. I said, it's, it's, it's funny how you look at certain instances and that one instance or one decision can really be the domino for three different teams possibly making it to the Super Bowl. The three finalists for OBJ were the Rams, the Packers, and the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that wherever he had gone, he would have been the domino that ultimately probably would have put all three of those teams over the top in the playoffs. I can't disagree with you on that. that that's that's crazy. I'm like, man, for the redemption story of that young man, what he's gone through on and off the field, how the media has turned on him. He went from the media darling to the media just basically ripping him to shreds constantly. And for him to go and have the game that he did in the championship game yesterday – that look, receivers for me, I watch, I'll give you a perfect example. Look at the chess catch or how Tyreek Hill waited for the ball to come from him, come to him on an overtime throw from Mahomes instead of going up and snatching it, compared to that last ball that OBJ caught on that final drive where the Stafford threw it high and he literally snatched it out of the head with his hands. It's just small things like that at the wide receiver position at big times in a big game that make a small difference. Kudos to that redemption story because I thought it was one of the biggest stories of yesterday. Of course, you had Joe Burrow and the Bengals. But OBJ yesterday, for me, might have been the second best story of that entire day. Absolutely. Malik, you got anything before we let? Man, this has been great. First of all, to just hear your recruiting advice, especially on the current state of college football, we, we usually talk about the old paradigm that you say, that stuff is over with. You just know, it's, it's, Put it behind you. It's so much that's changing, and you got to stay up to speed. And like you said, it's about having all the information you can at that time. And you can't regret the decision. That's why I feel you. Like When people go on the transfer portal, I can't feel bad for you if you don't get picked up. That's just your choice. You know mm-hmm. that's, Nothing you can do, but you're absolutely right about this NIL stuff. Keep the main thing the main thing. If you ball out, you're going to find your place in a lot of good positions. (laughs) So that's what always to be the focus. And and chasing these coaches, like you said, I think the important thing, too, about not signing too early because you can't. You almost have to wait until the signing day if you want to do it the best. Because, like you said, these coaches will – get you to sign and get fired or leave right after. And now your whole career has changed because now like Marcus Freeman is bringing his guys in. Yep. He ain't thinking, I mean, he appreciates that you hanging around, but them conversations going to come by and be like, Hey, you know, you got another year, but not here. Absolutely. That's something that guys got to deal with. 
Yo, I've learned a lot today talking to you. Carl Reed, once again, 247 Sports. I just, man, we might have to have him back on as a guest permanently, really, to talk about. We got signing day coming up. LL Nation is in the chat. They're loving the conversation. And we appreciate you, Carl, for joining us today. We look forward to having you back on the show soon. Let people know where they can follow you at on social media and uh, how they can stay connected to you. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Coach Reed Live. That's Coach Reed, R-E-E-D, live, L-I-V-E. Um, follow me. You can DM me. You can tweet at me. I'll respond, um, and i interact with you. Do you have a show? I saw you had a, one show you did last week. Do you have a live show that you do? I have, I, have, I have my own podcast called Run Up the Score. Um, so you can check out our Run Up the Score podcast. It's on Spotify and Apple and YouTube. Oh, that's what's up. Run up the score podcast. Check it out, LL Nation, for all the information concerning the transfer portal, college football, and recruiting. Carl Reed, thank you for joining us on LL Nation today. We appreciate you. LL Nation, thank you for tapping in. We got one. Our guy, Matt, 2011 GT, thanks for the super chat. This guy's 100% excellent guest. We appreciate that, Matt. We appreciate you, LL Nation. Don't forget. Subscribe to us at A2S Network on Apple Podcasts as well. For the original Lucky Lefty himself, Malik Zaire, I'm Sean Davis. Thanks to everybody that chimed in today. We'll see you guys right back here tomorrow at 9 a.m. Tomorrow we have Julian Okwar. Julian Okwar from the Detroit Lions. And then Wednesday, Davaris Daniels. Davaris Daniels is going to be joining us Wednesday at 10 a.m. We spin it different. We tell you all the time. Spin it different today. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Thank you. All right.